Plan B with Rebecca Davis. Hello, Rebecca. And I have your personal cell phone number, John, so even if it was, I would stalk you to the end of the earth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I... I think we should get somebody to sponsor that. <laughs> so both stalker and stalky do it in extreme comfort. <laughs> Absolutely. How are you, John? I'm very well, Rebecca. How are you? A bit upset about good. events at the SABC. I am a little, actually, John. And, you know, there's this whole thing that the media is very bad at reporting on things affecting the media and also quite obsessed with reporting on things affecting the media. I think in a way that the wider public probably has lesser interest. But the SABC is, of course, a state-owned enterprise. It is of equal significance, many would say, to ESCOM, to certainly to SAA. Um, I mean, it's hard to kind of weigh up these things. If SABC staff do indeed go on strike, people will be able to cook their food, unlike ESCOM. But I would certainly argue that the importance of SABC is way above that of SAA. I'm sure most people would agree. Anywho, SABC this week is seeing this fracas over retrenchments. And nobody wants to see retrenchments, John. It's been a terrible year. Any news of job losses in South Africa sucks, frankly. But we also know that over years and years of incompetence of cloudy Motsunengs, etc. We know that SABC has a hell of a lot of bloat. And this was confirmed in a column written by your own news editor, Maklassi Maklassi, on the EWN website, where she reminisced about her own time at SABC and said that after she left her position there, it took her two years to get the SABC to cancel her cell phone contract, that she was just asking them in vain to stop paying for her. So we know that this is that there is a huge amount of bloat at SABC, that there are, there's a lot of unnecessary middle management in particular. They have announced that they want to cut 400 jobs. And that is not the end of the story anyway, because they, these people who are being retrenched will be invited to apply for something close to 200 new positions. So there's every possibility that a substantial portion could be rehired. But, but uh, just uh, sorry to interrupt, but rehired under significantly worse conditions. And look, I mean, people at the SABC were well paid. Their conditions of service were really amazing. I mean, two of the changes in the conditions of employment that raised my eyebrows is that the leave allocation has been cut from 36 days a year to 28 days a year. I mean, you know, 28 days a year is still sure. more than just about any other corporation's annual leave grant anywhere in in this country it's it's verging on the french and their and their sick leave has been cut from 36 days a year to 35 days over 3 years whereas most right. of us have to deal with 25 days over 3 years so the conditions of service are generous and have been generous but and that's when well the, when known within the media industry, John. I think yeah. you can agree because we know, too, that if you work for SABC, as with any government entity, you also get a generous pension and so forth. There are all those other benefits that come with that. Yeah. But at the same time, the people, the anchors, the television and radio anchors at um, at uh, Africa News, at RS Here, who are the two stations that have been mentioned, they can apply for their jobs back, but their jobs will inevitably pay them considerably less under a freelance contract contract than their current, perhaps, fairly cushy salary pays them. Is that fair? That's true, although we know that a number of high-profile presenters at SABC are on freelance contracts, so I don't think that is a given, John. Okay. But the point is also that the average salary at the SABC we know now is over 790,000 rand a year, and we know that the management salaries are also very high, which is what's inflating that figure, 
We've seen the document doing the rounds showing that the top management is earning two, three million rand a year. The point is, though, these journalism jobs are very, very well paid. And this is a time of, you know, it's a bad time for the media industry. The latest State of the Newsroom report showed that practically every media entity in this country has been retrenching people. And in fact, I think with the sole exception of the Daily Maverick, people have been laid off all over the show. It is just a sad reality of where we are as a media landscape in COVID-19 with reduced advertising, with the rest of it. So I have sympathy for the SABC journalists, and not all of them, of course, are, will be journalists who are retrenched. But, but, John, there is surely no excuse for continuing to turn one's platforms over to the publicizing of your labor dispute. And I mean, I really don't want to sound like some fuddy-duddy here, but the, the SABC's public service mandate is that they show news that they broadcast radio news and TV news and discussion that is in the public interest. Over the past week, we have just seen them turn over to the staff basically to raise their labor disputes. We saw them go live to a dispute in the newsroom where senior anchor Griselda Lewis was haranguing Patiso Magapeni, the news editor, about retrenchments. And we've seen other anchors simply bring on members of the board and then, you know, vent at them. This is a violation of one of the basic principles of journalism, which is that you get both sides of the story. There's been no attempt to do that. And then we reached a new law yesterday when we saw two journalists, including the senior political correspondent, Samkele Maseko, yesterday, bring on Secretary General of the ANC, Ace Magashule, a man who many of us would love to have an exclusive interview with at the moment, by the way, for reasons very different to the ones they were to grill him on. Samkele sits down with Ace Magashule and opens with, a jobs bloodbath is happening at the SABC. This is a quote. Atrocities are being done to people's lives. The ANC has yet to call this board, the SABC board, and address them. What is the ANC doing? In other words, here we have a senior wow. political uh, correspondent wow. asking the ANC secretary general to interfere politically with the SABC board. After the years of state capital, I mean, this is just outlandish. I mean, we've just turn the corner, we hope, from this kind of thing. And what we're seeing is SABC staffers losing their minds, frankly, over an issue which personally affects them. If this were to happen at ESCOM, at another thing, we would all be up in arms saying, you know, you cannot have this kind of political interference with boards. Ace Madashula is sitting there, of course, saying, well, the board sounds very arrogant. We'll have to see what can be done. You know, we, of course, don't want these retrenchments. People need to get a grip. Retrenchments are unfortunate, but... We've all agreed, I think, as a nation, that the capture of state-owned entities has to stop. Political interference has to stop. The seemingly very capable board has determined that there is a wage bloat, that it has to be cut. And now they are, you know, being kind of publicly shamed because the people they are trying to chop happen to have access to a newsroom and a broadcaster in order to stop them executing these measures. And it's not okay. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that that interview that the political reporter did with Ace Makhachule. And listening to you describe it, I mean, I'm absolutely horrified that that can be seen as something okay to do on a, a public broadcaster platform. But anyway, a very curious new finding to which you alerted me. The gap between gay and straight men in terms of likeliness to have a degree in STEM, science, technology, mathematics, is now larger than the gap between white and black men. Why... Why is it that gay men are so less likely to have a STEM degree than straight men and, and that it's that gap is bigger than between white and black men? 
Yeah, it's interesting, John. I should say these findings are from America, seemingly. So it may well not be replicated all over the place. But yeah, that gap now is larger, as we said, between than between black and white men. It's still not as large as the gap between men and women, which is something like 20%. This is only 12%. But it definitely exists. There are very few gay men in STEM compared to straight men. So the question is why, as you say. And, um, you know, for anyone who might even be considering an answer along the lines of gay men aren't good at STEM or gay men aren't interested in STEM, the title of this report, I think, is an implied rebuke. And the title is Turing's Children, a reminder that one of the most brilliant computer scientists of all time, Alan Turing, of course, was gay and committed suicide as a result of it. So, no, it is not the case that gay men just aren't good at STEM, if anyone is thinking that. The the potential answers they come up with is simply that these learning environments are often homophobic to various degrees, just unfriendly. And we do know that scientific environments, for instance, are often more right-leaning politically than uh, social sciences, than the humanities. So it's are they? Do, do, do we know that? We know that engineering, for instance, okay. traditionally... Um, draws in a lot more politically conservative people. So it may simply be that those environments are seen as less friendly. Which, whatever the case is, I think it's good to have some data on that and to be hoped that, that you know, there will be actual attempts made to fix that. And then finally, and I really do bemoan the fact that I don't have access to WhatsApp at the moment, because I think if we did have access to WhatsApp at the moment, our WhatsApp line would be flooded by responses to our next and final topic of conversation, Nigella Lawson breaking social media in the United Kingdom with a rather strange suggestion of how to butter toast. How to butter toast? Now, Nigella apparently has rare form when it comes to teaching people the blinding obvious. Apparently, she once had a lengthy segment on how to boil an egg. She took things to new levels by teaching everyone how to butter toast recently. Someone commented on Twitter, thank goodness I'd lost my recipe. Anyway, this is Nigella's recipe, which has caused a mass meltdown. She says, you, you, you put a piece of bread in the toaster, obviously, and then as soon as it comes out, you spread unsalted butter on it so that it sinks in and gets this she calls it a golden, crumpety, gorgeous, crumpety bite. And then you wait a few seconds for that butter to fully absorb into the bread. And you apply a second layer of butter. Yes, John, you heard me correct. A second layer of butter before adding a sprinkling of salt. That is Nigella's recipe for what she calls the platonic ideal of toast, the most perfect possible buttered toast. Your views, sir. <laughs> well, you see, unfortunately, um, you alerted me to this once I'd left home this morning. So I was not able to put it to the test myself. And I was not able, once I got to work, to do any further research on it, because we don't have access to research <laughs> internet. Um, so, I mean, the, it, uh, did she explain why you use unsalted butter and then put salt on as opposed to using salted butter and eschewing the extra salt. Was that... She did not. And that is one of the greatest mysteries of the salt. Why not just use salted butter? But she does use sea salt. So perhaps she specifically wants that extra saltiness and the extra um, bite that would come with a kind of a rock 
in your in your buttered toast. John, do you have any spe- special tricks of your no, own? No, no, I, I, I just I just first want to interrogate this a little more. And and this is only the platonic ideal of toast. So this is toast with butter. It's not toast with butter and That's a thin right. spread of anchovies or gentleman's no. relish or anything. It's just buttered toast. That's right. Okay. Well, I'm, I I don't want to... I don't want to comment on it. It does seem unnecessarily labour and butter intensive to me. <laughs> I, I am very fond of a piece of freshly buttered toast. I really, really am. But I, I wonder what I have you done the experiment? Look, I haven't. The Telegraph asked a series of professional chefs to evaluate this technique, and all of them were extremely. Um, Critical. I will say that Nigella is, of course, synonymous with excess in cooking, you know, cream, butter, etc. And in décolletage, and in the lusciousness of her lips, and in all sorts of things. Yes, all true. (laughs) I am someone who I think would potentially enjoy this because I, I really think there's very rarely such a thing as too much butter. But I prefer the technique, John, where you put a piece of toast into the uh, bread into the toaster. When it comes out, you spread some butter on it, but because there'll be bits that haven't really absorbed, because your butter is normally a bit clumpy, then you put the other one, when it comes out, on top of it in order to aid the melting. Am I making sense? Yeah, you are making sense. Um, that is the only real hack that I have in this in this respect. But I, I agree that no butter hacks. should be, should be um, you know, it, it should be... Excessive, yeah. Well, uh, um, uh, um, Rebecca, um, uh, Nicola will alert you to what time tomorrow afternoon I'm going to be reporting back on my morning experiment because tomorrow morning I'm going to take two slices of bread, exactly the same size and everything, put them in the toaster for exactly the same length of time, and then one of them I'm going to butter in my traditional way and one of them I'm going to butter in Nigella's way and I will report back on which, to me, tastes the tastier. John, this is a tremendous, tremendous contribution to science, and I thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Rebecca.